gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. We'll sing all four verses of this hymn, please. lovely singing. Let's keep it going as we turn to the final hymn, the final opening hymn in our gospel mission. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. 
in the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. A lovely hymn, let's sing in these words as we stand together singing our very best on these lovely gospel hymns, please. <clears throat> unite our hearts together in prayer. Let's all seek the Lord's face in prayer. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, eternal, heavenly Father, the old precious and prevailing name of the one who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we bow humbly and reverently in thy presence. We thank thee for the hope of the gospel. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And we thank thee, Lord, that it's not something that's vague, but we thank thee that it's something that's sure. We thank thee that it's something that's certain. For, Lord, you've said in your word, you give unto your sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. Therefore, we come with thankness, thankfulness, and we come with praise in our hearts to give thee all the glory 
for the great and wondrous plan of redemption. We thank thee that God loved the world of sinners lost. We rejoice that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so as we have gathered in this place over these two weeks, we thank thee for the heralding forth of the good news that Jesus saved. We thank the Lord we're not here to extend a denomination. We thank thee we're not here to make a name. We thank thee, Lord, we're not here to praise man. But, Lord, we rejoice that we're here to give thee the glory of our hearts in the glorious message of the gospel and to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so we thank thee for your goodness to us over these nights, over these days of gospel mission. We thank thee, Lord, for all that has taken place. And we pray that thou will continue the work of grace that has begun. May the good seed that has been sown, may it continue to have fallen upon good ground, and it will yet bear fruit unto the glory and honor of thy name. So bless this time together. We pray for our young people as a minister in song. We pray for the preaching of thy word. And Lord, as we sing these old hymns of Zion, Lord, may it be but a foretaste of the rejoicing that will be in our hearts when we gather in glory. And Lord, should there be one in this service, and they haven't that hope, they haven't that assurance, oh, that this would be the night that they will leave rejoicing in the knowledge of sins forgiven, and they will be able to say, I am redeemed, oh, praise the Lord, redeemed forevermore. We're not unmindful of those who mourn tonight. We pray that thou wilt be with the Calderwood family. We pray that thou wilt especially draw near to them in the time of their sorrow. And may that family circle know at this time that underneath and round about are the everlasting arms. So continue with us now. We pray and ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. Our theme hymn has been that lovely hymn. I heard an old, old story how a Saviour came from glory. One of the characteristics of this mission has been the good singing. And we thank you for your endeavours and for your enjoyment of singing these lovely old hymns. And I trust and pray that that will be the same in this service tonight. And we're going to stand together while we sing, please. <clears throat>
delighted to have the Hebron Youth Choir, and they're going to come and sing to us, please.
Thank you in the Saviour's name. And there's a lot of past pupils in the choir and some current pupils and past head boys. So I'm sure the principal was glad to see uh, them taking part tonight. And we thank them in the Saviour's name. We bid you welcome to this, the final service of this gospel campaign. It has been a time of blessing. I think it has been uh, one of those missions that we look back to as another hallmark in the history of our congregation. And we thank you for coming tonight. We thank you for coming each and every night that you've been here, uh, whether you're a member of our fellowship or a friend or an associate or whatever. Uh, we thank you all for your attendance over the last two weeks. And we trust and pray that as we gather for this final service, that the Lord will come in a particular way and bless in this service. To those joining us on Sermon Audio, Facebook and YouTube, we bid them welcome and we thank them also for that extended congregation over the many nights of this mission. Just a few things to run through in terms of our own congregation. Hebron Tots tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Then Thursday, our midweek uh, service, it will take the form of a deputation uh, from our brother, Mr. Chris, Chris Killen. You know, Chris works amongst uh, the drug addicts, and we trust and pray that you'll remember this service, come and support it. Remember our brother. It's a very challenging work that he's involved in, but we trust that as he comes to give us an update that you'll come out on Thursday night to hear uh, what our brother has to say uh, on that occasion. Friday night, the Youth Fellowship at 8 p.m., and there will be reports from the summer outreach. And also on Friday night will be the 40th anniversary concert of our Christian school in the town hall. And the Reverend William McRae, Reverend Fred Greenfield, Middletown Accordion Band, Pastor Philip Bowles, the Kingdom Mayors, and the school choir. So by the time that's all done, you'll get out probably about 12 o'clock. But we'll keep it going. Uh, and I know that there are many looking forward to uh, this anniversary, 40 years celebrating the goodness of God for the Independent Christian School. As we've said before, you won't have to pay to get in, but you will have to pay to get out. There will be an offering, and that will be an aid of the school. Do remember those who have returned to the land of Ukraine. As you know, our congregation has taken this land on its heart, and of course we have those who have come to be amongst us over the last year and a half, and Nina and Karina have returned and they have safely arrived back home in the land of Ukraine. Remember those who have also come uh, to be with us, the two young girls who have just come in the last few days. Continue to pray for them and for the rest of our Ukrainian friends. That the Lord will soon intervene in the circumstances that they find themselves in. And before we sing our next hymn, uh, the hymn will be our offering hymn. I just want to say a few words in regards to the use of this property. And we're delighted to have with us tonight the principal of the school, uh, Mr. Tom Skelton. Now, I'm sure Tom's nervous because I normally am sitting down there and he is up here. And I have to listen to what he has to say about me. But I'm not going to be like that tonight. Uh, and he knows that. 
it has been a joy. And I want to say, uh, before we ask him to come up and receive a presentation from our minister uh, for himself and also to the library of the school, I want to say a sincere word of thanks for all the help from when we started to plan this, in the preparation and in the services that we have had in this building. There has been nothing but help from the very beginning and it has been greatly appreciated. And Tom, on behalf of our Kirk Session, the Minister, the Committee and the members of Hebron, we want to say thank you sincerely in the Saviour's name. We're just going to ask you to come now uh, and we'll ask Mr Park if he would present this small token of our appreciation to the principal. Mr. Gunn, I couldn't give you a better thing than this here. A copy of the scriptures. We really appreciate the help that you've been when we came that day to, to look around. Uh, you were so helpful. You brought us here, showed us the building that we would be meeting in, and we've had a great two weeks. Uh, we owe so much to yourself and to the staff here. So thank you, thank you very much. Can I just say it as a school? Thank you, and thank you, Mervyn, and thank you for going easy <laughs> over there. Uh, can I just say, as a school whose uh, whose ethos is based on uh, Christian values, we're delighted to have the Hebron with us. Uh, it's been lovely to see a lot of pupils, past pupils, and I did parents of pupils uh, over the nights I've been in, uh, and I hope you felt very much at home here, and I hope you felt blessed by the, the gospel. And uh, I just, it's been a pleasure to host you. Thank you. Tom, I want to give you these for the library of the school. Have you pass them on to the head of the library? Just as our token as well, so that there's okay. a lasting memorial. But thank you, okay. and thank you sincerely for everything you've done for Please, us. Well. Thank you. Show your peace. Thank you. I know Tom was a wee bit concerned because on Friday night, I understand her brother Phil said that when you were singing, he wanted you to lift the roof. And the last thing that Tom needs is another capital build to replace any roof in this school. But metaphorically speaking, we want you to lift the roof as we sing our offering hymn. And in good old style, we'll sing about standing while we're seated. But we're going to sing 265. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned all unclean. Remaining seated while the evening offering is lifted, please.
for the final two verses of the hymn. gospel mission without an evangelist and a preacher, and we are indebted to the Reverend Park for his faithful ministry, not only on the Lord's Day and every other service that's held in Hebron, but in particular when it comes to gospel missions. And over the years, we've had many gospel missions in different places, and our dear brother has been a faithful servant, and I know that you had an opportunity on Friday night to show your appreciation uh, in that way. But we just want to say to you, brother, on behalf of our session and committee and, and the members of our congregation, thank you in the Saviour's name for your faithfulness, and we are delighted that you are now taking a holiday. You know, he's the most difficult man that I have ever known to take holidays. And if he t takes a time off, he goes away to some other place to do a service and to do a work. And I know it's much appreciated by those that he goes to visit. But, you know, you need to come apart a while and you need to have a rest. And, brothers, you take a rest for a few days along with your dear wife. We trust the Lord will bless you. We will miss you. It's never the same when Mr. Park's not there. Something always goes wrong. Uh, we don't know what's on the slides. Uh, we don't know what's on the announcements. So just ignore any messages you might get from any of us over the next few days, and we'll try and muddle through until you return. But the Lord bless you now as you come and as you bring God's word. I'd like to set that, well, I'll set it down in a wee minute. Irvin, thank you for the, the very kind words. Um, there's no greater joy for me but to come and preach the word. I, I love the Lord, and I love his gospel, and we just love presenting Christ as he's freely offered in the gospel. So thank you in the Savior's name for all your kindness and your words. <coughs> I've kept this before me because I want to express a sincere thanks 
Uh, we think of the fortnight and we come to the end of it. And first of all, to everyone who helped, and so many of you came on board. We had a lot of people out in outreach. We had a lot of people came to pray and setting up the equipment uh, night by night, and that was appreciated. We had mentioned the Dalriata School. Um, Mr. Skelton, where is he sitting? Down there. Just, just a thank you again, Mr. Skelton, uh, for this excellent facility and for the open door that we have had here every night for two weeks. Four of my children uh, came to this school. The other one went to school in Korean, but four of them came here. And, you know, sometimes we like to think that they've done so well because of the excellent genes that they have in their body from their mother, of course. Uh, but I think it was the excellent education that they received here in Dalriada. So we do appreciate the school that they do, all that they do academically. To Mervyn and the others who led, but Mervyn, you led most of the meetings for us, and that is a great help. And we sung a hymn one night. What was it? Tell me the old, old story. Is that the one that Christine sings to you? And then I heard an old, old story. <laughs> the emphasis there is on the old. <laughs> over and over again, tell me the old, old story. And I heard an old, old story. None of us are getting any younger. But Mervyn, thank you for your help. And for all who came to pray, the singers who took part, um, we thank you. Some of them came, solos, groups, the choirs. Appreciate our own choir and the youth choir this evening. Those who made teas <coughs> when we had visitors coming along uh, from a distance. There was a big cup of tea provided for them. Our excellent musicians, I think that they're very, very good, very professional. And we always enjoy their ministry. Samuel for broadcasting, getting it out onto the three medias. And we get texts and emails from people, not just in Northern Ireland, but around the world. And they've appreciated the mission, listening in, the singing, and so forth and the men who did the door duty and seemed to the car park. So thank you in the Lord's name. Now, will you turn with me to Proverbs 1? Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> we continue to pray for the land of Ukraine over the past little while. Um, we have taken under our wing some of the Ukrainian refugees, uh, 41 uh, now with the coming of the two girls on Friday, 43. Some of them have returned, uh, just a few of them, five of them have come back to Ukraine, still amid the dangers, they keep in touch with us, we're glad about that. And we got the photograph this evening just to say we're, we're back safely. Thank you for praying for them. <clears throat> Pardon me. And the two girls that arrived on Friday. We spent a little bit of time with them last night. We, we took them for a drive up around the Northampton coast. It was a cold, blustery, at times rainy evening. And they have come from reasonably good weather. Uh, the temperatures have been quite good there in Ukraine. I know that they dip in, this, in the winter time to maybe minus 20. But they left good weather to come here to typical Northern Ireland weather. Uh, but they enjoyed getting out of the car at viewpoint and looking out across the Atlantic Ocean. And then we moved up to uh, the beach as well, allowed them for about five minutes just to, to walk 
along the beach and to take in the marvellous views that we have. So pray for them. The two girls are 18. They're classified, as we've told you, as, as orphan children. Their mother died with cancer when they were just small children. Their father abandoned them. They went to live with their grandmother. And regularly, nearly every day, their city in recent times uh, has been bombed. Life was becoming very, very dangerous for them, and they needed to get out. And we were contacted to see if we would receive them. We made provision for that. They have come here not knowing anybody. They don't know the other Ukrainians that we have at the church. So it's a big thing for them, and we pray that they'll settle in very quickly. Thank you to the congregation for making them feel so welcome. You welcomed them on Friday night, and you welcomed them this morning in church. Um, we'll just keep an eye on them. We'll try to encourage them all that we can. And remember the other land in Eastern Europe that's near to our heart. We, we told the church this morning about a little family that were standing there. You saw the picture getting ready to go to church. We've been working with the Roma people for over seven years now in a little village called Moldovanoa on the banks of the river Danube. And uh, I think it's true to say that They've won their way into our hearts, and I think it's mutual. We are in their hearts. We've tried to help them in practical ways. Those who came with us in VBS this year would have gone from very, very poor conditions out to visit a family that live in dire conditions. These are old, derelict buildings. We were brought into their kitchen. Kitchen, just a big, very big open space. There's no windows. It had been raining heavily the night before. The whole place was flooded. And they had a little makeshift stove that they tried to cook on. That was their kitchen. In fact, some of our young people had to leave the premises. Just they were overwhelmed by what they saw and uh, other things. So anyhow, the little girl took on well. She had to go to hospital. Very thankful for a local pastor that called and drove two and a half, three hours to Timishwara to the hospital. Got the little girl admitted. She had pneumonia, she was treated for that, but she also had these, these lumps. She only 10 had these lumps in the back of her neck that needed to be removed surgically, and that was done. But on the way to the hospital, the pastor was able to talk uh, to this lady called Florica, and Florica's heart was open to the gospel, and she professed faith in Christ. And she's contacting us regularly. Every week she'll be in touch with us. We got that photograph this morning of the children standing waiting to go to church and then she sent me a photograph this afternoon of them in church and one of the songs that they were singing and then I got another text from her just to to thank the people because I said that the Hebron church were remembering her and her family in prayer so she wants to thank you for just coming alongside in what has been very difficult times for her so we think about them now let's read God's word first of all it's just a background reading to what I want to say this evening, and the Lord has put in my heart really a very, a very solemn subject on the last day of the mission. And I want to read this passage of scripture with you Proverbs 1, verse 24. In fact, we'll read from verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity, 
I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of the fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. And then my text in the New Testament, the words of the Saviour, very, very challenging, very solemn words in Matthew 12 and verses 31 and 32. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the two weeks and for an open door here in Dalriada to come night by night and just sit beneath the sound of your word to worship God in the singing of the hymns and to hear those who came to take part. We thank thee for your precious word. And Lord, we do not preach anything but what the Bible tells us. And therefore, as we come, we come in the Lord's name. We come with the Lord's word. And we pray for the Lord's help. We pray for the Spirit of God to come now on this final night and speak to us. Help the preacher to bring the message. Bless the audience, Lord, as they listen. And should there be any in the meeting tonight who do not know the Savior, may this be a very important moment for them. May they turn and seek the Lord, call upon his name. Come to know Christ as their personal Savior, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And from what we've read tonight, I, I want very simply to speak on the subject, what it means to cross the line of God's mercy. Is there such a thing? Is it possible for a man or a woman or a young person to reach a stage in the journey of life where there's no eternal hope for that individual? Is it possible for a person to come to a point of no return? Is it possible for a sinner to step over an unseen line of demarcation, which means that they can never be saved, they can never find mercy, they can never come to Jesus Christ, they can never repent of their sin, they can never come to know the love of God, they can never obtain a hope for heaven, they can never feel the, the operation of the Holy Spirit in their souls again, even though they live for 50 years or more. Is it possible? I've read some of the sternest and the most solemn words that can be found anywhere in the Bible. And God's word is telling us here, in fact, the Lord Jesus himself is telling us that there is an unpardonable sin. According to Jesus Christ, there's a sin unto death, a sin that cannot and will not be forgiven. Not in this world, and not in the world to come. There is a sin 
that the infinite, all-compassionate heart of a loving and a merciful God cannot forgive. There is a sin that the almighty saving hand of a pardoning Redeemer cannot rescue from. There is a sin that the all-precious and holy blood of a dying Savior cannot cleanse from. And you know, the fault is not with God. God has demonstrated beyond all doubt that he is a God both willing and able to pardon and forgive sin. In fact, what I've read here in Matthew's gospel, these words open with the glorious hope of the gospel reaching down into the very pit of despair. You want to mark what the Lord says here in verse 31. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Those are words of mercy. They are sweet and precious. It's a glorious reality that all manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Sins of youth, sins of the body, sins of the head, sins of the hand, sins of the tongue, sins of the thought and imagination, sins of the heart, sins against all the commandments of God, sins that are sins of profanity, Sabbath desecration, idolatry, disobedience to parents, murder, adultery, robbery, lying, covetousness, all these sins against the commandments of God can be forgiven. That's wonderful news. The drunkard can be forgiven. The adulterer can be forgiven. The harlot can be forgiven. The cursing man, the murderer, the sodomite. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse these sins away. And there is a righteousness can cover that person's sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Beautiful verse of scripture and a verse that's been much in our minds these weeks because we've been going into the schools and this has been a text uppermost in my mind as we share the gospel with the children in so many schools over the past couple of weeks. But the text here closes with the horrors of eternal doom prescribed upon a certain sin that cannot be forgiven, that cannot be brought to the blood of Christ for cleansing. Look at the words again of Jesus. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, these words do not stand in isolation in God's word. There are other verses like this. Let me quote to you one passage. You don't have to turn to it, but it's Hebrews chapter 6. And let me read to you what God's word tells us here in verse 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God And the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. And I think of the enlightened ones. They might very well represent the children of our Christian homes, with all the privileges that they receive, brought up in the gospel brought to church, Sunday school, children's meetings. We can say cradled from their infancy 
in the things of God. They certainly have been enlightened. It might also remind us of those that sit week by week under the sound of the gospel, that attend our gospel meetings, that come to missions like this time and time again. The word of the Lord is presented, Christ is preached, and so in this sense, spiritually, they have been enlightened. Often these are the hardest people on earth to convince and to impress. And thinking about those that have grown up and just neglected salvation, just kept putting it off, done nothing about it. And oftentimes they become past feeling, hardened. They take for granted what they've heard. They have light, but they're heading to darkness. They murder every opportunity that is given to them to come to know Christ as their Savior. And maybe, maybe there's someone like that in this mission as we come to the end of it. You look back over many, many years, because you've been doing this for years. You look back over many gospel meetings that you've sat in. You look up over these times of gospel preaching at missions, specially organized times, maybe for a week, two weeks, three weeks, even more at times, where you've sat night by night, you've listened to the word of God. You are in danger of committing the unpardonable sin. Well, what is it? To commit this sin is to cross a line of mercy forever. Little poem that I read many, many years ago. There is a place I know not where, a time I know not when, that seals the destiny of man for glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. To pass that limit is to die, to die as if by stealth, it does not quench the beaming eye or pale the glow of health. The conscience may be still at ease, the spirit's light and gay. That which is pleasing still may please and care be thrust away. But on that forehead God has set indelibly a mark. Unseen by man, for man as yet is blind and in the dark. And still the doomed man's path below may bloom as Eden bloomed. He did not, does not, will not know or feel that he is doomed. He thinks, he feels that all is well and every fear is calmed. He lives, he dies, he wakes in hell, not only doomed but damned. What does it mean to cross the line of God's mercy? Let me give you some things that it means. First of all, the Holy Spirit ceases to strive with that individual. Remember, it's blasphemy, speaking against the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. And God warns, and it's a warning that I think most of you are familiar with from Genesis 6 and 3, my spirit shall not always strive with man. The task of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of sinners is to bring them to Christ. And he convicts them. It's where it begins. We begin to sense and feel and understand our sin. That's conviction. And he not only convicts, but he enlightens. We've spoken about being enlightened. And this is where the gospel comes in. The word of God is preached. And, well, we're told the truth. And we come to an understanding. The spirit of God teaches us. He then goes a step further. He pleads with us. He urges us to seek Christ. And he draws us unto the Lord. 
Now this is his work. He's the author of regeneration. He's the originator of the new birth. He's the giver of life. And you have known that work. I know that tonight. You have sensed that. You have felt that in your heart. The Spirit of God was sent into the world by Jesus to perform a particular task. You remember the Lord spoke about it in John 16, the night before he was crucified. And this is what the Savior said about the comforter that he was going to send into the world. Verse 8. When he has come, he will reprove or convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And so the spirit of God comes to the hearts of men as the gospel is presented. And he uses the message of the gospel to convict an individual of his need of a savior. But men refuse and They turn away from God's speaking voice and they resist the spirit. And they say in their heart, go thy way for this time when it suits me. When I've got a convenient season, I will call for you. And the Bible puts it this way. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent by, by his Spirit. And this is what some of you are doing right now. You're saying no to the Spirit of God. Well, God says, my Spirit shall not always strive with man. And there comes that moment when you come to cross this line of mercy that the Spirit of God walks away and he leaves an individual. And when that happens, you have crossed this mark. You have gone over the boundary line. You have gone beyond the reach of grace and mercy. Never again will the Spirit come to you and convict you of your sin. Never again will you you feel his gentle touch upon your soul. Never again will you know his pleading. Something else that happens. That person is forsaken by the Lord. What a dreadful thing for God to leave an individual We read in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17 concerning Ephraim. Ephraim is joined to idols. And then mark these three words. Let him alone. Just leave him. Forsake him. I cannot begin to imagine how awful this experience must be. To be abandoned by God. The Christian knows nothing of this of course. Because the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. He bore that experience in our behalf you remember his cry Eli Eli lama sabachthani my God my God why hast thou forsaken me and the father forsook the son as part of the eternal punishment that we deserved but Jesus paid that for us he stood in our stead he represented us so this is nothing that you and I who know the Lord will ever experience because the Lord experienced it on our behalf Oh, there's times that, that we, we sense God at a distance. And I'm sure everyone here has been in that place where you just can't seem to, to sense the presence of the Lord. Remember the patriarch Job in the midst of his trial? He looked everywhere for God and he, he couldn't find him. 
happened to the psalmist David as well. This is our infirmity because we know that Jesus has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But to cross the line of mercy, to commit the unpardonable sin, results in being forsaken now, in time and forever in eternity. For God says, let him alone. God will never be near to help. He'll not be there to hear your prayer. You may cry out of the depths of despair, but, but God will be afar off. You will never find him. Even though you search with him with all your heart. You see, my friends, now he is near. In a gospel meeting like this, in this fortnight, I think we've really sensed the presence of God in this auditorium. Now he is near to, to save us, to redeem us, but not then. And that's why the word of God counsels us, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Praise God he can be found. And he's near in a service like this. To cross the line of mercy also means to be as sure of hell as if already there. And that's a reality. To cross the mark means eternal destruction. And even though you live for another 50 years, even though you attend another thousand gospel meetings, you'll never feel the way you feel now about getting right with God. And even though you sit around and others are getting saved beside you, you'll not feel this way even if we enter into a time of revival. We look back in this little land to days of revival. 1859 was the year of grace. And we often remind ourselves of what God did in that year. Began in County Andrum, in the little village of Kells, in an old schoolhouse where those men prayed, called down the power of God. And you remember how revival broke out and hundreds and hundreds of people were now getting converted to Christ. In fact, 100,000 people, at least in that year of grace, came to know the Lord. And over the course of our life, we remember little times like this too, when at a mission like this, there were sometimes hundreds of people getting saved or dozens of people getting saved as has been the history of our own little work. But you could enter into a period like that and all these people around you are getting right with God. But if you have crossed the line of mercy, it's been too late for you and you'll never feel in your heart the movings of the Spirit of God. Furthermore, you can never be drawn now, this work belongs to God. No man can come to Jesus Christ by himself. We, we would not come. We would not come. Jesus says men love darkness rather than evil because their deeds are evil, rather than good because their deeds are evil. We would not choose the Lord. We would not turn to him. We would not accept him. You look at Christ and from an unconverted point of view, there's no beauty. As the prophet said in Isaiah 53, no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, in Christianity, nothing attractive that would make me want to become a Christian. Jesus says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And that simply means we are helpless of ourselves. We are impotent. We are, we are bent towards our own sin. But when I feel my need of a Savior, when I am moved in my heart, when I am troubled and concerned, what is it? It's the Father drawing you have the work of the Spirit, and you have the work of the Father through the Spirit. But when you cross the line of mercy, you can never be drawn. 
something more. Though you hear the greatest sermon ever preached, you still will not come. You know, I could preach the hottest sermon ever on hell. We could take, by the descriptions of the Bible, the very lid of a lost eternity and peer in and see what it is for a man to be lost without Christ. We could hear something of the cries of a lost sinner's hell. And even though I could do that and preach the greatest sermon on the subject of a lost eternity, you will not come. The mightiest sermon on the mercy of God could be preached. You could see how wretched and sinful you are and how compassionate and loving God is. And that's a grand subject to talk about the love of God. And we've spoken about that during the gospel mission, how that God loved us. Christ gave himself for us. How that God loved this world of sinners lost and ruined by the fall. It's a great subject, but even though I set the love of God before my congregation, if you've crossed the line of mercy, it'll have no effect upon you. The most compassionate sermon on the cross of Christ could be proclaimed, and still you would not come. I could bring you to Calvary. I could show you the wounds of the Savior and the precious blood that he shed. You might even be reduced to tears as you think of Christ dying upon the cross. But if you have crossed over this line of mercy, you still will not come and you'll not be moved sufficiently to seek Christ. One other little thought and is this. Though the greatest prayers by the greatest saints are offered on your behalf, it'll have no effect. There is an important verse that I want you just to to listen to it in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, unto the prophet Jeremiah, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. In the previous chapter, the prophet was pouring out his prayers before God, really earnest. And you'd think that God would now come and answer those prayers and he would show mercy to the people of Israel. Not so. God's ear was deaf. He had abandoned them. Two of heaven's great favorites are singled out here. They were great prayer warriors, great interceders with God. The two names that are mentioned in Jeremiah 15 and verse 1, Moses and Samuel. I think of Moses in Deuteronomy 9, verses 18 and 19, where he says, I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which ye have sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. What a mighty man of prayer Moses was. We see him going up into the mount, spending this time with the Lord, 40 days and 40 nights. I would say there's nobody here has ever gone away for 40 days and 40 nights just to have a prayer meeting, just to be alone with God. This man did. Such a burden he had in his heart for his people, the children of Israel. They pleaded with God. God stepped in, heard his prayer. And then we have the other man that is mentioned, Samuel, in 1 Samuel 12, verses 16 and 19. Now therefore, 
stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. I want to think about that. Think about this man engaging in prayer and able to call the very thunder to come. That phenomena in answer to his prayer. I'm sure nobody has ever called down thunder like that or lightning by your prayers. But he did. The people saw that God was in it. Then they began to plead with him, pray for us, pray for us, intercede for us. These are two great stalwarts of prayer. And yet we're reading in Jeremiah 15 that the Lord is saying, even though Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind could not be towards this people. Why? Because they had crossed the line, that line of demarcation. And that's why I'm saying to you, even though the greatest men and women of prayer that you can think about pleaded with God on your behalf, if you have crossed the line of mercy, nothing can be done and their prayers will not be heard. I want to thank you for coming to this mission. I want to thank you for your faithful attendance. Some have been here every night. Some have got as often as they can. Some are maybe here for the first time. Thank you in the Savior's name. We're here for no other reason because we love you in the gospel. We have a desire just to present Christ to a needy world. And on this last day, we felt constrained to deal with this subject. It hasn't been an easy subject to preach. Rather preach on the cross. Rather preach on the love of God. Rather preach on his great mercy. But I felt constrained to talk to you by crossing the line of mercy. For I fear in my heart that even in this mission, someone might do just that. And I want to say this evening as we close, don't, don't turn away from the Lord if the Lord has been speaking. Don't put it off as you have been doing perhaps for years. Don't neglect so great salvation. The Holy Spirit is striving. The Spirit of God is, is drawing you He's tugging, if you want to put it in that language, tugging at your heart. I can remember hearing a story during the Second World War where a pilot crashed in enemy, enemy territory and there was a farmer in the field that ran over to see if he could do anything. The pilot was still alive. He climbed up onto the cockpit. The, the plane by this time was on fire. He was able to uh, dislodge the, the door of the cockpit and uh, try to rescue the pilot from the flames that were now licking around his body and he tugged at him, he pulled at him but it was a great problem. The man was harnessed in and he couldn't get out. And there came that moment even though the flames were around the farmer's hands that he just had to let go. My friends, in a similar way, a higher, in a higher sense, in an eternal sense, the Spirit of God is, is drawing you. He's, he's tugging at you. He would, he would save you. But you know you're harnessed in. Whatever it is that, that's keeping you from the Lord, whether it's unbelief or 
some sin in your life, some pleasure of the world, and is harnessing you in. And even though God is speaking and the Spirit is drawing and he's tugging at your heart, and you even have feelings in your soul, you're still resisting and you're saying no. There comes the moment when the Spirit of God will let go. Don't let that happen to you, even today. Come to the Savior. He loves you. He died for you. Praise God, he can save you this very night. Let's pray. Come to the very final meeting and we're just glad that we've been here and have the opportunity these two weeks. And I know that God has been speaking. I know of people who have even said, I would love to be saved, but not tonight. And that's just putting it off. It's a dangerous thing to do. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. He can be found tonight. He's near tonight. If we can help you, that's why we're here. If you have any questions in your heart, if we can answer them, we will. But praise God, we can open up the Bible and show you the way of God's salvation. Get right with the Lord. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these two weeks, for help given, for your presence, for the Spirit of God that has given so much to this mission, speaking into the hearts of men and women. Thank you for a work of grace that has been done, people who have come to know the Lord. We pray that you will speak right now. And don't let men and women and young people leave without the Savior. May they come to see the love of God in Christ, that there is a Savior from all sin, if they only let him in. To their heart he there will reign if they trust him. And may they do that tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have a closing hymn. It's 230 in our hymn books. Savior is calling for thee, long, long as he called thee in vain. He called thee when joy lent its crown to thy day, as he called thee in sorrow and pain. And the appeal in the chorus of the hymn, O oh, turn while the Savior in mercy is waiting, and steer for the harbor light. For how do you know but your soul may be drifting over the deadline tonight? Think of the words as we stand to sing.
we can be of help to you. We're here after this meeting. Come and have said to us at the door. I'd like to talk to you. Maybe there's Christian friends. I'd speak to them. And they'll only be too glad to help. This is now in your fear and with your love. Let your word live on. And may God be glorified as a result of two weeks together. In Jesus' name. Amen.